This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about the limits of a socially conscious capitalism. For that, we turn to Rick Wartzman. He's written for Fortune, Time, Business Week, and especially Fast Company. He's the author of several books, most recently, Still Broke, Walmart's Remarkable Transformation and the Limits of Socially Conscious Capitalism. Rick Wartzman, welcome back. Hey, great to be with you. Well, Walmart is the largest employer in the world, the largest private employer other than government. The Walton family, the children of the founder, Sam Walton, is the richest family in the world with an estimated wealth, Google tells me, of $224 billion. For decades, we complained about Walmart's low pay and terrible employment practices. Barbara Ehrenreich wrote a memorable chapter about Walmart in her classic book, Nickel and Dimed, about how bad it was to work there. That book came out in 2001. But since then, Walmart has changed. First of all, remind us how bad Walmart was 20 years ago. Yeah, so uh, awful. <laughs> I mean, in many ways, the most vilified employer in the country. Um, and and I think in, in many ways, rightfully so. You know, this was a company that had always had this model of delivering, you know, goods to people, some high quality goods, but at low prices. There was a high, always been a high human cost that comes with those low prices. And although consumers benefit every time they push a cart down to the Walmart checkout line, uh, they save money on their goods. And Walmart, I should say, has always seen that as part of their social mission, right? To provide affordable goods to, to folks who otherwise wouldn't have them. Again, high human cost to that. So whether it was driving manufacturing overseas, constantly chasing labor and uh, expenses to the lowest cost country one after another, uh, certainly changing the face of many communities by you know pushing mom and pop Main Street businesses out. And then, of course, in terms of how uh, it paid its own workers, it has always paid low wages, as do many, and in fact, most retailers um, and, and many other industries. Folks really have always had a hard time getting by on a Walmart paycheck. Yeah, let me just add a personal story here. My mother's family ran a men's clothing store in Superior, Wisconsin. For a hundred years, everybody in the older generation worked at the store at some point in their lives. And uh, when they were getting ready for their 100th anniversary celebration in 1999, Walmart opened a store in Superior, Wisconsin, killed all of downtown. All the stores went broke, including my mother's family store. My mother suddenly lost a big part of her income and became poor. So to save money, she started shopping at Walmart. Walmart killed a thousand other downtowns in small Midwestern cities. Tower Avenue in Superior, Wisconsin was one of them. That really changed America. It really did. And look, I, you know, in some ways we, I think, romanticize what the jobs were like at those small businesses. And there is actually a lot of evidence that even companies like Walmart pay better and provide better benefits than a lot of those very small family-owned businesses, unless you are a member of the family. You know, I'm not sure that those workers were making, you know, much, if anything, above minimum wage themselves. But certainly aesthetically, in terms of the character of downtowns and, and places like Superior, Walmart changed things, along with other big box retailers. Uh, markedly. The other thing to add is back in 2005, 2006, 2007, you know, Walmart was vilified 
you know, a lot because of its actions, but also because two unions, uh, the Food and Commercial Workers and the Service Employees International Union, the SEIU, really went after Walmart. And Walmart, as the biggest company in America, the biggest employer in America, really became the poster child for them of everything that was wrong with corporate America, paying workers not enough to live on, uh, folks who didn't have adequate health care benefits and were turning to public assistance, Medicaid or food stamps to scrape by. Walmart became the target of two really immense union campaigns, public campaigns, um, and that also really hurt their reputation. I know in your book, you quote Barack Obama campaigning for president in 2008 saying, I know I won't shop there. Yeah, I, right. He was not going to step foot in Walmart. That's right. And then and then Walmart changed, and so did their relationship to Obama. Yes. So, yeah, what really happened and what my book details is the changes that Walmart has made uh, starting in 2015 and uh, continuing on through the present. And it is the backstory of how they came to make this change. Um, all the pressure that we just talked about, the union campaigns, other labor activists, this group, our Walmart, now United for Respect, I suspect some of your listeners are uh, know about. They put a lot of heat on the company over time. Politicians like Bernie Sanders, the interfaith community, right? The nuns are always after Walmart. Journalists like myself, a lot of pressure to change and business operation reasons, which we can talk about. So starting in 2015, Walmart began to raise wages. Earlier than that, under the previous CEO, uh, Lee Scott, they began to uh, make changes around inv their environmental practices. They became a greener company, a more sustainable company, far from perfect, but widely seen now in the eyes of many mainstream environmental organizations as a real corporate leader in that area. They began to give away billions of pounds of food to food banks. They lowered the price of prescription drugs. They became a more socially conscious company. And then again, in 2015, they actually, the last piece to sort of come into place was actually doing something about wages and investing in their workers. A new CEO, Doug McMillan, who's the current CEO, came in uh, in 2014, and, and they began to actually take steps in that area as well. And so, you know, the subtitle of my book that says a remarkable transformation, not, not composed casually. I want to talk a little more about why Walmart changed. You've talked about the public campaigns by the unions, by the nuns, by Bernie Sanders. There was also some personal campaigning by individuals connected to some of the Walmart family. There were, well, there were folks on the board. There were internal change agents that the company uh, brought in, including some, you know, longtime Democratic operatives um, like Leslie Dock, others uh, who had been either in the Clinton administration or, or part of, you know, Clinton campaign, and then eventually folks who came in uh, from the Obama administration from the Democratic aisles uh, on the Hill. And so, yeah, this was a company that I think you know, in many ways really did set out not just for PR reasons, but for all kinds of reasons to, to really change and invest in its workers in new ways. A lot of this was a business imperative. They had cut labor costs so deeply that their turnover was so high. Somebody told me it was up to 200 uh, percent. There's an anecdote in the book where a top executive goes in to a store and, you know, she was told by the manager, the turnover was 400%, right? Wow. So every worker you see, you know, the, you know, there, there are four others who've been in that job, you know, over the course of a year, just incredible. And you really can't run a business well, and they weren't. 
shelves were empty. They were having trouble keeping just things in stock. They floor The floor was dirty. The bathrooms were unkempt and they were losing customers as a result. Um, sales were declining. And so you know, Doug McMillan knew he had to invest in, in the workforce in ways that they never had before. However, one thing did not change, and that was their relationship to unions. Yes, they have always been virulently anti-union. Um, and yes, to the point, frankly, that the food and commercial workers, I think, has largely given up even trying to organize Walmart. You know, even today, while Amazon, their their efforts to organize Amazon, their efforts to organize Starbucks and, and many others, right? It was certainly a, an aggressive year for, for unions and organized labor, uh, you know, in 2022. And, and we've seen all kinds of activity accelerate. You know, Walmart, I think, remains, frankly, beyond the, the reach. It's just it's too big. It's been too too big a mountain to to climb. So Walmart did increase wages, mm -hmm. but the title of your book is Still Broke. Tell us about that. All the positive things that they did started to get them attention and and in good ways, right? From a company that had been so vilified. So Barack Obama, for example, you know, he visited a Walmart while he was president. He visited a store in Mountain View, California, to tout the company's environmental sustainability practices and frame his own energy policy. Michelle Obama, um, who had also, you know, sort of spoken out against Walmart, you know, she uh, ended up touting the company for um, stocking foods with less fat, sugar, and salt on their shelves and, and helping with her Healthy America campaign. And so the company really did turn a corner in many ways. And the president, President Obama, called when they began to raise wages in 2015 to praise Doug McMillan. He called from Air Force One. And uh, again, there was a real uh, relationship between the White House, the Obama White House, and the company at that point. The bottom line is, the average Walmart worker still makes less than $29,000 a year. In 2015, when they began to raise wages, at the time, the starting wage was seven six. The average starting wage was $7.65 an hour, barely wow. above the federal minimum wage. Wow. And to their credit, they raised the, their starting wage to a minimum of $9 and then $10 in two steps. It's now to $12. Their average wage is up over $17 an hour. So all, you know, very, very positive in terms of the direction they push. They've invested in training. They're providing better benefits. They're moving more to full-time workers and fewer part-timers, all to the good. But at the end of the day, again, the average Walmart worker still makes less than $29,000 a year. All too many remain on food stamps and Medicaid to scrape by. And so what this has told me, John, is that this is a company that, again, is, has really had a remarkable transformation in the context of their own history of, the, of, of being in a, in a you know, low wage model. They have pushed, they have pushed, they've made these changes, and yet their workers are still broke. In many ways, for a company of that I believe does care and wants to fix this, it's still broken and our society is broken. And what this showed me is that corporate America on its own will never move far enough or fast enough. They're boxed in. They can't do it. We've dug the hole too deep. The only way to fix this is, I think, a government-mandated solution. You've emphasized that the unions have not made any progress with Walmart. I think partly that's because Walmart operates in so many anti-union states. And so the only way to really reach most Walmart employees is with a higher 
federal minimum wage. Remind us what the federal minimum wage is right now. It's $7.25 an hour, and, it, and it's been that way since 2009. What's your estimate of what a living wage for workers at Walmart and everywhere else would be? Right. So in my book, I, I have a very full-throated cry for a $20 an hour federally mandated living wage. That is a family living wage. Um, it's actually calculated by um, a wonderful organization that spun out of Oxfam America called Living Wage for Us. It's based on real data analysis and what it takes to, to provide for a family, the average size, the typical size working family in this country. And what they find is that, and the reason I picked $20 an hour, 80% of Americans live in a county where the family living wage is $20 an hour or higher. Then I want to switch a little to Walmart today, after the pandemic, after the rise of Amazon. Uh, how, how big a threat is Amazon to Walmart today and in the future? Uh, you know, I, I don't think Walmart's about to topple over from, from anybody, even another Goliath like, like Amazon. But it's fair to say that there is, I think, no decision that Walmart makes, no strategic move, um, big policy change without Amazon hovering over its shoulder as it as it makes those decisions and probably vice versa, right? These are the two Goliaths slugging it out um, in the retail space. Um, and interesting, like, interestingly, right, each is kind of moving into each other's turf. So, right, you see Walmart has over the years, obviously walmart.com has become, you know, much bigger and they are doing much more online but Amazon at the same time is moving right a bit more, whether it's its purchase of Whole Foods or others, you know, steps it's made is moving more into brick and mortar um, after wiping out so much brick and mortar. <laughs> and they're both playing in the same space in terms of expanding into health services, financial services and other things. I know you've been reporting on Walmart for something like 20 years Going Long back time. to the LA Times, I think it was in 2003. Of course, you've done a lot of other things in the last 20 <laughs> years too, but what's it been like to follow this one story for such a long time? Yeah, I was the business editor of the LA Times. My team, give them all the credit. They, they, and I had a hand in shaping it, but they did the work to want a Pulitzer Prize for looking at those high human costs of low prices at Walmart. Um, back in 2004, the, we won the Pulitzer for national reporting. And since then, yes, I followed the company closely, but that's why I, I knew something was going on inside, you know, as they began to raise wages uh, and make these changes. It's a story I really wanted to tell. And the institute where I have been working, the Drucker Institute, we actually got some philanthropic funding for a lifelong learning and workforce development project. And lo and behold, Walmart was one of the early funders and, and an important funder to us. I was really shocked at first. We got the funding. I thought, man, maybe they're trying to buy me off or something like that. <laughs> yes. um, but it didn't matter. It gave me a new window inside the company. I met some you know, executives and I said, hey, look, who better to tell your story of the transformation that you've made than a longtime critic like me? But if I do so, I'm going to need open access and I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'm going to talk to the unions. I'm going to talk to United for Respect and your critics and then I'm going to come to my own truth. And, and that truth is still broke, the book that, that you have there. And if people want to know more about this, tell us a little more about United for Respect and where we can find out about them. Yeah, you should, you should 
uh, look them up, run by a wonderful woman named Andrea Dillendorf, longtime labor activist. Again, they, they spun out of the Food and Commercial Workers Union as uh, our Walmart was the group. And what made it a little different, they really, it's not, so first of all, they're not a union. They're not trying to collectively bargain against Walmart, but they have been a way for um, workers to organize themselves and uh, exercise their collective voice uh, against the company, demanding higher wages, improved benefits, and so on. They still have a very strong presence in terms of uh, you know pushing against the company. Um, and interestingly, they've now, United for Respect, has expanded well beyond Walmart to actually take on Amazon. Uh, they were very involved taking on Toys R Us as it was going through bankruptcy um, and other low-paying retailers. Um, so it's it's become a, an organization that now extends well beyond workers just at Walmart. Rick Wartzman, his new book is Still Broke, Walmart's Remarkable Transformation and the Limits of Socially Conscious Capitalism. Rick, thanks for talking with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.